0: Hey, it's Colin Klupik here with a quick heads up. In this episode of Central Station, I'll be talking with Dr. Michael Carr-Gregg about technology, well, mobile phones more specifically, school students, the pandemic, and mental health. So I'd like to draw your attention to the report which Michael references in this conversation. In that report, you'll find some great information about best practice approaches for schools and parents to help children and young people mitigate risks and use devices in safe, informed and responsible ways. That report is available on the New South Wales Department of Education website. And a link to that report is in the show notes for this episode. This podcast is brought to you by Central, helping schools work smart.
1: Let's be clear, the um, COVID-19 pandemic is a youth mental health pandemic as well.
0: That's Dr. Michael carr gregg one of Australia's highest profile child and adolescent psychologists. He's a prolific author and broadcaster with regular appearances on Australian television and radio. He also specialises in corporate mental health, families and the seemingly ever-present issue of adolescent use of technology and its effect on mental health. In this discussion, I talk with Michael about a recent article in the Sydney Morning Herald newspaper about a call for banning phones in schools. Now, you might already have a strong view about this and wonder why the point is still being argued. But Michael brings insight into the debate based on extensive research and experience. In fact, he was asked by a former New South Wales Minister for Education to conduct a review and write a report into the non educational use of mobile devices in New South Wales schools. I started by asking Michael why he had such a high level of conviction about a ban from the first bell until the last. Well, Michael, thank you so much for making your time available this afternoon. This really is quite a hot topic. It was uh, talked about in the Sydney Morning Herald last weekend. The issue of high school phone bans is it's one of those issues that, uh, that, that can potentially get people very excited very quickly. Now, the article that you featured in talks about two things, either a blanket ban or responsible use. Now, responsible use could indicate a very wide range of responses, I suppose. But you're firmly on the side of the blanket ban. In fact, you're saying that it's more urgent than ever. I'm sure you get plenty of opposition to that. What is it that gives you that much conviction, such high conviction on this issue?
1: First of all, thank you very much for having me. Um, I'm a child and adolescent psychologist. I'm not an educator. uh, But I was asked by the previous Minister of Education in New South Wales to write a report on this issue. And I spent many, many months looking at the literature, talking to parents, students, principals and staff. And I came to the conclusion that... um, A partial ban was probably the way to go, and that was reflective of the recommendation that we made to the minister. Subsequent to that, as a clinician who's been working with young people in Melbourne through 242 days of lockdown, we've seen a dramatic increase in anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation non-suicidal self-injury and eating disorders on a level I never thought I'd see in my lifetime. And uh, I think during the lockdowns, young people immersed themselves in a cyber world uh, more so out of necessity than anything else. And as a result, I think all of the problems that we know existed previously uh, from uh, excessive immersion in this world uh, came to fruition, and we saw significant difficulties in socialisation, in um, engaging in education, uh, and a a very significant increase in all of those mental health problems that I talked about. And uh, I feel now, as a result of this, that a ban from first bell to last is more important than ever so that we create an island in time for our students so they can learn free of distraction and can socialise free of distraction. Now, the lived experiences of schools like Davidson Secondary in New South Wales, and MacKillop Secondary in Victoria, that uh, when they created this island in time, they had uh, very significant and measurable uh, increases in student engagement, a decrease in um, the cyber bullying and harassment and a very significant increase in socialisation. And I don't think that's a coincidence. The experience of France, who was the first country in the world to ban uh, mobile phones from first bell to last, including recess and lunchtime, were identical. And they have recorded these very significant increases um, in academic performance and a decrease in antisocial behaviour. And therefore, I am absolutely convinced it's the way to go. You can't beat lived experience.
0: I just want to come back to that thing that you said uh, earlier in your explanation there about the fact that students had to immerse themselves into this virtual world by necessity. Are we talking about necessity there because they just couldn't go to school, or did they feel that somehow a part of their personhood needed to just be in that space in order to survive? I just wanted to clarify the necessity part.
1: Sure. There are four key developmental tasks in any adolescent in Australia. And that is, first of all, they need to emancipate from their uh, adult carers. They need to take healthy risks to establish an identity. They need to uh, associate with their peers, uh, preferably face-to-face. But peer contact is essential good psychological development there's some psychologists who would argue that the greatest predictor of well-being in a young person is having that rich repertoire of friends not on only on an online um in an online capacity but offline as well and the fourth developmental task is obviously to go to school now during lockdown they couldn't achieve any of those four developmental tasks so they did retreat to a cyber world out of necessity, because it was the only way that they could fulfill at least one of those developmental tasks. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, sure. And when when we talk about social interaction, are we talking about then just difficulty in making connections or making friends with with people? Or are we talking about uh, language use as well, as in they just don't know how to talk to people. They can't construct sentences anymore because their digital communications are truncated either via text messages or messaging services. How, how deep does this go? How bad does it get?
1: I think during the, um, well, certainly in Melbourne, I can only speak of the Melbourne experience because I work here, um, many of the young people uh, developed very significant levels of social anxiety um, as a result of a prolonged period of time away from school. And this truncated communication that they had. Now some just withdrew completely, and so they didn't even have um, that uh, conversation. They actually spent a lot of their time uh, playing online games, and um, that might be the sort of first-person shoot 'em up uh, variety or strategy games. But um, that was the only way they uh, could communicate. And I don't know if you ever heard young people, uh, while they're playing these these games, um, there's a lot of yelling and shouting, mm. a lot of screaming and a lot of swearing, in mm. fact. Um, and uh, it it doesn't make for um, a fabulous preparation. If, for example, you were in uh, grade five, you've had two years of this disruption, and then suddenly you hit high school, and you've had none of that uh preparation you don't have the social and emotional competencies mm. you don't know anything about conflict resolution anger management problem solving decision making it's a pretty tough ask to suddenly arrive in high school and cope and of course they haven't and the uh, academic um uh, component of this is significant many teachers are telling me that they've found in 2022 that their students were at least two years behind academically, I would say that there was also a regression psychologically, and yeah. that's why the ban on mobile phones, in my opinion, is more important now than ever
0: before. Do you think, just coming back to the gaming aspect there, do you think the the fact that uh, if you fail in a game, like if, if you, in inverted commas, die, um, or your character dies, that the children are learning... Um, I guess, a, a false sense of reality about their own mortality because they can go, well, it's okay. I can just rebuild this relationship by starting a new game and that they then perhaps take an aspect of that into the real life so that they become less protective of the relationships they have because they feel, oh, it's okay because in the virtual world, I just start another game. Maybe I can just do that in real life as well. Is is that contributing to the problem, do you think?
1: Um, I think that's a component of it. Uh, I I believe that young people can make a distinction between um, fact and fantasy. And I think that um, depending on their developmental stage, their understanding of the universality and finality of death will will vary. Uh, but I do think that um, this... Uh, I call it a road runner mentality where I don't know if you remember the cartoon. The road <laughs> yes, runner. I do. He constantly <laughs> yes. got squashed and then just bounced back <laughs> up again. Um, I, I don't think the world works like that, and I think there is a possibility that some of the young people may have adopted um, or believed that this is um, a way that they can carry on their social interactions in real life, and it doesn't work that way.
0: Now, I guess this all might sound very sensible to us adults who who look down onto this situation and think, oh, well, yes, we think that's going to be good for the kids. What language do we use then to sell this message for the, to the kids? Because I, I can imagine that saying something like, oh, this will be good for you, uh, probably wouldn't cut it very well. But you've seen some examples where it has worked. What language did they use? How did they go about communicating this to the students?
1: I think the great um, example is Macmillan secondary in Melbourne, and under the brilliant leadership of their principal, a remarkable person called Pittsabinian, what she did is she had a discussion with the young people about um, what she intended to do, and she phrased it in terms of uh, an experiment, um, and that this experiment was designed to see whether or not the behaviour of young people in class, their focus in class might be improved by creating these islands in in time that I talked about. And um, I think because she phrased it as an experiment, um, the young people were much more open to it. And in the end, uh, when I spoke to students at that school, they have... Uh, Not all, but the vast majority have embraced this as um, a useful thing rather than something that's anti-technology or anti-young person. They've said to me, look, there's plenty of time for us to use our our phones before and after school. Um, There are some that feel very strongly that they should be able to use it during the day, um, but that's not a view that I share. Um, because I'm a psychologist who's interested in the healthy growth and development of young people and I know how important the face-to-face socialisation is, particularly in preparing them for a very uncertain world. Mm. I've always seen one of the major reasons why you send young people to school is to provide them with the skills for future economic independence. And I think being able to talk to human beings being able to socialise is an important uh, life skill, which is going to serve them well at, um,
0: in the future. That uh, language of uh, let's uh, conduct an experiment and uh, inviting students in to participate in an experiment is sounds to me like a different style of language to let's strike a balance uh, or uh, the technology or whatever you like in moderation argument. Do you see that, that moderation-type arguments or balance-type arguments might actually be unhelpful in this situation?
1: I do, I, and I think that introduces um, what I call regal room. Um, and young people, because the young people will always look for um, exceptions to the rule, but if you have a blanket ban, first bell to last, no exceptions, um away you go. And when I say no exceptions, there are always exceptions for, um, for example, young people with um, uh, psychological problems who, for whatever reason, need access to their mobile phone. So this, this wasn't a completely um, heartless uh, idea. Uh, there were some students who for various reasons, required their phones, and particularly access to, for example, blood glucose monitoring Mm. uh, during the day because they had some sort of physical uh, problems. So um, apart from that, I think that not having any wriggle room is a really good idea.
0: Would you say that equity was also an exception? So if a student said, look, I just don't have access to the tech that I need and this phone helps me to do what I need to do, does that is that a wriggle room thing or is that actually a, a legitimate exception?
1: Yeah, look, some, some uh, schools were saying to me, Michael, you know, whether or not a kid has a mobile phone on them is the least of our worries. The big problem is getting them to school in the first place. Um, and... I've got a lot of sympathy obviously for that um and not all of the schools in australia are situated in you know nice middle class area where mm. everyone's got access to a phone or um, a chromebook for that matter um what i said um to the new south wales uh, minister was that it is really up to the school to make sure that every student um, had access to some level of technology um, but they didn't need to have a mobile phone to do that um, and I, mean, I, I, I don't know of too many schools in my area um, that don't have a either bring your own device um, policy or it's provided by the school in fact there's some schools that are Chromebook schools and everybody it's a Chromebook. Um, but no, I, I I am uncomfortable with um, being uh, in, in a position where the whole problem education is to get kids to school, whether or not they've got their mobile phone is, is irrelevant. I have sympathy for that position.
0: I wanted to also take this opportunity to ask you about what's actually happening in the brains of these young people when this dependency or this uh, desire to retreat into the virtual world is going on and becoming so enticing should we be concerned about some of the physiological changes that may perhaps be going on inside a young person's head as in, as in physically are, are there any are, are there any things that are changing being rewired or being damaged by this experience
1: i don't think we have the data yet the difficulty is that young people have a hundred billion brain cells and a thousand trillion connections and they're all wiring up through adolescence and they're pruning and they're undergoing a whole range of different um, states depending upon their developmental stage. At the moment, what I do know is that the teenage brain is wired for novelty and risk they're tremendously influenced by uh, peers uh, and they have a tremendous need for sleep. And one of the biggest problems we have in adolescent psychology um, and indeed adolescent health is sleep deprivation. And uh, a deprived, sleep-deprived brain doesn't work very well. Uh, if you add to that the fact that about 32% of young people don't eat breakfast in the morning. And the sole source of energy for their brain is glucose. Um, We've got a lot of sleep deprived, a lot of um, hungry brains um, that are malnourished at school. And then you add to that the um, dopamine spurts they get from connection and the distraction component, it's a mess. We don't have the literature yet, we don't have the technology yet to determine exactly what impact this is having on the physical brain. And part of that is that in order to make that determination, you would actually have to scan the brains of a lot of young people. And I don't know if you know this, but one scan costs about $8,000 um, <laughs> in research wow. terms. Every time you do one of these functional MRI scans. This isn't your standard, you know, medical scan. So um, this is is literally taking a movie of the brain, and then you have to do a before and after. So while it would be lovely to say, yep, yeah, we've got all the data, the truth is we don't, and it's a very expensive thing to get it.
0: So we're really working on our as you said before, our lived experience or our observation of, of students going through these experiences, because clearly, what you're seeing in all, the, all of those issues before that you were raising, like um, anxiety, um, those are clearly evident to us. So, are, are we taking, uh, are we taking this as like a, a shot across the bow? We're thinking, well, maybe we need to curb this back to see if we can reverse this process. Which then leads me to the question: Are you, are you seeing? Uh, an improvement in the symptoms that you've mentioned when the technology exposure is reduced? And You mentioned those two schools, but what about more widely? Do you see this with with children more widely as well?
1: Um, Again, just because the lockdowns are over, the um, psychological effects of the lockdown and indeed the global pandemic are still being felt. So we don't have the longitudinal data um, to answer that question definitively, um, I was hoping that when the West Australian government, the Tasmanian government, and the Victorian government um, decided to take my report and go one step further with a blanket ban from nine uh, from first bell to last, that they would have a research component um, to that to see whether or not there were in fact measurable Australian. Uh, measurable data. Unfortunately, um, at the time, uh, which was March 2020, the global pandemic kicked in and uh, the research just didn't get done. And um, we don't have the before and after that we need to answer your question yet. Uh, It will be interesting to see um, whether or not somebody will do a decent study with, with a large um, data set and with really reliable and accurate, um, valid measures. Uh, so far we haven't seen that. But as for the shot over the bow, I think this proposal is from the University of the Bleeding Obvious. Uh, <laughs> you've, you've got to create an, uh, an environment where the young people who have been so adversely affected. And let's be clear, the um, COVID-19 pandemic is a youth mental health pandemic as well. There's no question from all the research that um, the pandemic impacted disproportionately on our young people. And uh, I'm long um, gone being the canary in the coal mine. I think that we have to take proactive steps now to ensure that our young people have a good chance at recovery and building the resilience that they're going to need for I don't know the next pandemic or whatever mm. life throws at them uh, when they grow up. Um, and at the moment, I'm not sure that we've we've got the right circumstances. and I worry about there being a two-speed education system because Colin, a lot of the private schools, Uh, leapt at the opportunity to ban mobile phones um, in schools, and a lot of the state schools in New South Wales haven't. Instead, the minister's line was, I'm going to leave it to the individual principal to determine what they want to do, whereas many of the principals were saying to me, no, we want leadership from the top, we want an edict, and then we can enforce it. Unfortunately, that never came in New South Wales.
0: Look, I can imagine that some parents or some teachers listening to this conversation might be thinking, yes, I completely agree with this. I see the problems in my home or in my classroom and are just, I guess, at a loss to know what to do. How can can parents and teachers help or how can they get help if they feel that they can see these problems but just don't know what to do next? What would you say to them?
1: Well, I'm... I'm an old political lobbyist. Um, I I started um, my uh, professional life as a a lobbyist in um, uh, working in New Zealand. Um, And I'm a great believer in writing letters um, to the the editor, writing letters to local MPs, ministers, to the prime minister, and um, trying to be an advocate If an MP receives a letter from a classroom teacher uh, who has that experience of teaching from the back of the class because they're worried about phones and that letter goes into the paper or a call is made to the local talkback radio station or written to the Minister of Education, I think weight of numbers is where we need to go. So if you are a parent or a teacher in this situation, I would urge you to um, make your views known. And um, I'm, I'm hopeful that common sense will prevail. We can't wait, Colin, for the research results. They're going to sit um, on someone's desk in some editorial office for years while we're waiting for this um, uh, thing to roll out. And we just don't have the time. We need to act now.
0: Yeah. So how can we find out more about what you're doing in this area?
1: Well, probably the first thing you could do is go and read the report, which is on the um, Department of Education uh, website, uh, the Department of Education in New South Wales. So that's a start. Um, there's also a, um, a, a, a couple of really wonderful writers in this area Um, I particularly like the work of Johan Hari. don't know if you've read uh, his book, Lost Focus. Um, It's really outstanding. I was on the ABC nightlife program with him um, two nights ago. And um, I really recommend that people get informed as to the literature. And um, one of the things you could do is if the school that you're working in does choose to enact such a ban you could do some research yourself um just on whether or not um you you are seeing greater academic engagement um and more socialization in your school love to hear from you
0: well michael thank you so much for the work that you are doing in this area and thank you for being outspoken and using your background as a lobbyist to bring this to everyone's attention it sounds like there's a lot of good work happening and a lot of more good work yet to be done thank you so much for your time Thanks, you scott you've been listening to central station if this discussion has resonated with you and you think it could help a friend or colleague then please share it with them or if you'd like to find out more then check out the report on non-educational use of mobile devices in New South Wales schools. And again, a link to the report is in the show notes for this episode. You can also visit Michael's website where you can find more information on his books and public appearances. And there's a link to his website in the show notes as well. For more great insight from educators around Australia and the globe, make sure you subscribe to Central Station on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. This podcast is brought to you by Central. And to find out more, visit the website central.com.au. I'm Colin Klupik. Thanks for listening.